That sham audit of Arizona votes backfired on Mr. Trump. The lead starts right now. Trump praised them as, quote, highly respected auditors, and then he deleted the statement once the bogus results came in, concluding, again, anyway, that Biden won. So why is the Republican Party continuing to push these nonsensical election lies in even more states? A shot of confusion. The CDC director just broke with her agency's own independent vaccine advisors to allow more Americans to get a third COVID shot. Plus, even President Biden admitting now that his massive agenda is at a, quote, stalemate. Can his big spending plans make it through his own party? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin this hour with some breaking news in our politics lead. This just in, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says that the Biden administration will not assert executive privilege and will not shield Trump-era records from the January 6th Select Committee investigating the attack on the Capitol. Simply put, this means the Select Committee can potentially access documents and other information relating to what then-President Trump and his top aides were doing before, during, and after the Capitol insurrection on January 6th. This development comes after the committee issued its first subpoenas compelling testimony from four close Trump allies seeking information about the insurrection. Trump and his supporters' most brazen and violent attempt to overturn the 2020 election, though not their only attempt. And meanwhile, former President Trump, fighting to keep his big lie alive, is still remarkably able to push Republican state legislators to conduct these not-credible bogus audits in places that he lost. This despite the fact that one of these attempts, the so-called Arizona, Arizona fraud it, has just ignominiously backfired on Trump and his fellow conspiracy theorists. That partisan exercise resulted now in the conclusion that President Biden, guess what, did indeed win the state of Arizona. That setback, of course, is not stopping Trump and his minions from continuing to undermine the 2020 election in apparent hopes of laying the groundwork to steal the upcoming election in 2024. For instance, the Texas Secretary of State's office is now pushing what they are calling a forensic audit. But wait, you say, didn't Trump win Texas? Yes, but this audit only looks at four big counties in Texas, three of which were won by, that's right, now President Biden. Relitigating the election in battleground states and counties cannot and will not change the outcome of the 2020 presidential race. But as CNN's Paula Reid reports, election watchers say the constant questioning and auditing and lying about the election is an unprecedented effort to undermine the American democracy. In his quest to spread the big lie, Trump has focused on the vote count in Arizona, His allies paid a company to find fraud. But five months and more than $5 million later, the results are in. They found none. In fact, a hand recount actually found more votes for Joe Biden. Late last night, Trump posted a statement online calling the firm reviewing the Arizona results highly respected auditors. But after the results confirming his loss were widely reported, the statement was deleted from his website. The sham process was conducted by the Florida-based company Cyber Ninjas, 
which has no experience in auditing, but a hand recount by the company showed Biden got 99 more votes than Maricopa County originally reported, and Trump received 261 fewer votes. Maricopa County Supervisor, Republican Bill Gates, bucked his own party to reject the sham process. Those behind this, they don't have reverence for democracy. They are trying to sow doubts so that down the road they can again question elections if they don't turn out the way they wanted them to. But the former president continues to spread the big lie. On Thursday, Trump published a letter to the Republican governor of Texas, a state he won by more than five points, demanding an election audit while making baseless allegations. Hours later, the secretary of state announced that Texas would carry out audits in four of the state's largest counties. Trump's efforts to undermine confidence in the system is being embraced by Republicans. In a recent CNN poll, most Republicans said they want Trump to remain their party's leader. And most Republicans also consider support for Trump and his false claim to have won the 2020 election to be an important part of their own partisan identity alongside support for conservative principles. Nearly 10 months after the 2020 election, the former president continues to trash even his closest allies if they don't support the big lie. In a new book, Peril, authors Bob Woodward and Robert Costa document how Senators Lindsey Graham and Mike Lee questioned Trump's claim that the election was stolen. These two Trump supporters come up with the conclusion it's bogus. There is nothing there. Now Trump is taking aim at the two lawmakers who were staunch allies and frequently seen by his side while in office. I spent virtually no time with them, Trump wrote in a statement. Lindsey and Mike should be ashamed of themselves for not putting up the fight necessary to win. This comes as the House Select Committee fired off its first round of subpoenas in its investigation into January 6th to four Trump loyalists. Investigators want to know what Trump and those around him did to try to overturn the results of the 2020 election, in addition to what was known in Trump's orbit about the planning leading up to the insurrection and how the administration responded. We're moving with great alacrity uh, and essentially no one is off the table. The committee has specifically targeted individuals they believe would be uncooperative. Good morning. They include Trump White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, former Deputy Chief of Staff Dan Scavino, former advisor Steve Bannon, and Cash Patel, a former Chief of Staff to then Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller. These are four important uh, witnesses. They're all very close to the former president. Uh, some were in direct communication with him on January 5th, on January 6th. Uh, they are reportedly uh, in communication about how do it overturn the results of the election? On January 5th, Bannon predicted on his podcast, All hell is going to break loose. In a letter to Meadows, the committee noted he was allegedly communicating with the president on January 6th, and they also want to know more about his efforts to plan and prepare to contest the presidential election and delay counting of electoral votes. The committee is looking for a quick turnaround. And all four Trump associates are directed to produce relevant documents by October 7th and appear for depositions the following week. CNN has reached out to Meadows, Scavino and Bannon for comment. 
Patel said in a statement late Thursday that he was disappointed but not surprised that the committee had subpoenaed him before seeking voluntary cooperation. Now that it appears that President Biden will not invoke executive privilege to block some of these requests, if these Trump allies still refuse to comply, the committee can refer them to the Justice Department, try to get this matter into court, arguing potential criminal contempt, but that could lead to delays. Now, even if these Trump allies eventually appear, there is no guarantee lawmakers will get any answers as they each have the right to invoke a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Jake. All right, Paula, thank you so much. Let's discuss. Um, so let me uh, start with uh, you, Hillary Rosen. The, the White House has decided that it would be uh, inappropriate to ex- assert executive privilege and block uh, all this Trump information, what they were doing, what they were saying, what they were emailing, who they were calling from the committee. I, I will confess I am a little surprised because Biden is generally an institutionalist. Uh, and who knows what, I mean, this, this precedent has been set of, of, you know, after Nixon, but still, I am surprised. Um, what do you think? I think that the, the calculation inside the Biden White House is that they campaigned on being different, on transparency and, and telling the truth to the American people. And I think um, letting these documents go out uh, reaffirms that. And that's what he promised to do. And Alice, uh, late last night, you can't make this stuff up. Late last night, uh, Former President Trump signed on a statement before the audit results came out, uh, praising the, quote, highly respected auditors in Arizona. Those are his words, highly respected auditors. And then the audit came out. And it doesn't really matter because it's all bogus anyway. But the audit came out and concluded that that Biden actually won by even more votes. And again, none of it's credible to me. It doesn't matter. But then Trump goes in and deletes the statement from his website. Um, I mean, I guess nothing matters. Is Oop, the- oops. Well, it's, it's, it's a pattern, right? When you're supportive of the president, you're brilliant. And when you're critical, you're an idiot. And the problem with Arizona, these are the president's own cyber nimrods who could not produce the Kraken. I think you misspoke. They call themselves cyber ninjas. They are ninjas, but they are not in this particular not, case. Not cyber nimrods. I mean, cyber ninjas. Uh, I, I, I know, but I, I had my own Oh, you terms, know. Oh, okay, okay. I know exactly. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't a mistake. Okay, sorry. I, it, was, it was exactly, I meant to say that. Okay. Because, look, here's the, here's the situation is we knew we had free and fair elections across the country. We knew we had free and fair elections in Arizona. And this, this exercise in futility is a complete and absolute waste of time. And Republicans should not continue to feed into the big lie. We should not continue to support people that will investigate allegations of uh, false elections. And we should, instead of focusing on past grievances of 2020, let's focus on our policies of the future, because that's the only way we're going to do well in 2022. And there's plenty to criticize of the current administration. Uh, Olivia, you think this is not so much about 2020 as about 2024. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what's what's important here is not the re-litigation of 2020. It's the pre-litigation of 2022 and 2024. You've seen it in the president's remarks, right? Casting doubt on the legitimacy of future Democratic victories. That's why this is. Uh, I don't big, big, disagree big D with Democratic uh, victories or, or small D Democratic. I, well, or in, both. in this case, it, there's a considerable overlap. <laughs> um, but but I think that's why this is important. That's why, and I understand what you're saying about a waste of time. But that's why we can't actually look away from this because what you're seeing in the post-election uh, Republican Party is two systematic efforts to rewrite uh, uh, voting rules to pare back practices that benefit Democrats. And the other one, which is turn uh, turn over more election powers to partisan uh, Republican office holders. You know, a handful of Republican office holders held Donald Trump at bay in 2020. 
and the party is now structuring it so that those people won't, those checks yeah. and balances won't be there next time. So look forward, not backward, in the great cliche of American politics. And, and Tia, one of the things that's remarkable, uh, well, first of all, there are just so many conspiracy theories about this election, all of them bogus. But, you know, you had the Italian military was using satellites to change results. You had the uh, people in the fraud at looking for bamboo in the, in the, in the ballots because supposedly they came from China. Um, but then also is the craziness about Dominion voting systems. Um, and the New York Times has obtained new court documents showing that officials working for the Trump re-election campaign, for the Trump re-election campaign, were aware that the voting machine claims being pushed by pro-Trump attorneys were baseless. Um, this is in the context of Dominion voting systems suing Giuliani and, of course, Fox News for defamation. And yet the lie's still out there. Yeah, I find it really fascinating that Dominion has kind of taken the role of, you know, being very aggressive in suing the people that they say have lied about them. And if it were not for Dominion's lawsuits, a lot of this may not have been uncovered because Republicans in Congress have been very, you know, um, have put up roadblocks to the investigations in a lot of ways. But I think it shows, again, if you're with Trump, you have to be with him 100 percent. And there were people willing to be with him, so desperate to be with him that they were willing to lie. Yeah, and not worth it. That's why the um, fact that they're going into Texas now trying to push a recount is super interesting to me because Texas is the first state where actually they elected a Republican senator the same time that Donald Trump got defeated. So John Cornyn now has to go out there and defend Trump and say, oh, yeah, the election results in Texas aren't valid. Is, does that mean he's questioning his own election, too? But, but remember, he's, they're only doing four counties, three of which are counties that Biden won, one of which is a, is a county that, that Trump won. Why? Why would that be? Well, the, they want to show any and every place they can possibly find voter irregularities or fraud in the election process. And let me just say this. I've worked in the secretary of state's office on the state level, and elections are run state by state county by county. These are people that work very hard to have free and fair and accurate elections. And there's not widespread voter fraud. And any time in any time and money we spend on relitigating the past is is just time and money not well spent. And, and I think that the fact that the numbers came out even more in favor of Joe Biden in Arizona is a classic case of it's time to move on and focus on the future. But all of this, including the death threats, uh, is chasing good people out of the process of working for secretaries of state office, election boards, and, and, and the rest. And, Mostly and- civil servants, not, not necessarily partisan people. They're, they're literally civil government yeah. workers. You know, but Olivier is right. There, there's going to be litigation in over 11 states, I think, on uh, voter access and on um, these claims. And so it might just be that for 2022, the courts will matter more than these state legislatures. And, what? The, and the other thing is more partisans are replacing those civil servants, yeah. though. And that's the other point is that especially in Republican led states or in states that, you know, at the very granular level, Pro-Trump Republicans are starting to say, sign up to be your precinct captain, sign up for your local election board. And that's what could be scary in the future when those checks and balances are supposed to make sure that the right thing happens. But again, the pattern is if you're a Trump Republican, you may not always stand for what's right. You might stand for what he wants you to do if those don't match. Right. And for instance, in in Georgia, uh, where your paper is, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who is a Republican, is a partisan, is a conservative, uh, he's being challenged by Republican Congressman Jody Heiss, not because Raffensperger 
isn't conservative, isn't Republican, uh, isn't uh, a devout Christian, uh, but because he abided by the rule of law. Right. And because he said Biden won, now he has a challenger for someone who questions whether Biden won in Georgia. And if Jody Heiss becomes a secretary of state, he is the one who will be in charge um, in that 2024 race. And Raffensperger is like me, would have preferred for uh, Donald Trump to have won this election, but he didn't. And Raffensperger counted the votes not once, not twice, but three times right. and came to the same conclusion. So at some point you have to realize it's time to go. Thanks one and all. Appreciate your time. Still ahead, getting everybody on the same page when it comes to a third shot of the COVID vaccine. Can you roll up your sleeve now? And breaking on the lead, U.S. military bases grappling with a massive number of Afghan evacuees, including 2,000 pregnant women at just one U.S. base. Stay with us. And our health lead now, a shot of confusion. Rather than go with the booster recommendations of the CDC's independent board of vaccine experts, President Biden's top doctor at the CDC, the CDC director, agreed with instead the FDA and expanded third shot eligibility to those working in high risk jobs, such as people who work at grocery stores and schools or frontline healthcare workers. The issue is not just about who should get boosters, it's also about the confusion and possibly even undermining the vaccine effort. Take a listen to former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb. The split between the two agencies, I think, creates the perception that the government doesn't really have its act together and there's confusion. And the recommendations ultimately issued by the CDC, I think, are going to be very hard for the medical practice and patients to interpret and actually implement. Confused? Well, let's try to clear it up. Here is who is officially eligible. First, you have to have had the Pfizer vaccine, not any of the others. Second, you must be six months out from the second dose. Third, you have to be 65 years and up, or you have underlying health conditions, in which case anyone 18 years and older qualifies. Then, of course, you have CDC Director Walensky's addition per the FDA. Anyone working or living in a high-risk environment is also eligible. Joining us to discuss, Dr. William Shafter. So, Dr. Shafter, one of the reasons for the confusion and for some skepticism about Dr. Walensky's announcement is that a month ago, President Biden announced this. The plan is for every, every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. Pending approval from the Food and Drug Administration, the CDC's Committee of Outside Experts will be ready to start these booster, this booster program during the week of September 20. So Biden was, in fact, pushing every adult to get a booster, every adult who had a Pfizer shot. But that's not the case. Um, I mean, do you understand how people are confused? And maybe some people are even skeptical about whether or not the CDC is following the political operatives at the White House instead of the CDC advisory committee. Well, sure, Jake. Uh, Actually, I think it's a work in progress, right? And we anticipate that as we get more data, it may well be that the uh, that the recommendations are expanded even further. Uh, And actually, I anticipate that on down the road, as you said, Pfizer today, we'll expect Moderna to come along pretty soon and behind them J&J so that I think fairly soon we will have recommendations for everyone who's been vaccinated previously. And in the meantime, while we're talking about these third doses for people, these booster doses, 
we have to pay attention to all the people who haven't gotten their first dose yet. That continues to be public health goal number one. Well, that's just it. Uh, We have 70 million eligible Americans who need to get their first shot. And there's all this discussion and debate about people like you and me who have already had two shots and are pretty protected uh, as these things go. Shouldn't the priority still be, the focus still be, trying to convince skeptics and focus on these 70 million who haven't gotten even one shot? Well, as I say, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can have two goals. Continue to focus priority number one from the point of view of public health is people vaccinated who have not yet been vaccinated. In the meantime, we can extend protection even longer down the road to people who have already been vaccinated, who continue to have very, very good protection against uh, serious disease and hospitalization. Yes, it's waning a little bit, but that's why the boosters are also recommended for those folks. So these breakthrough cases where people who are fully vaccinated uh, get infections, and we should note that they are still largely protected, and people who have gotten these breakthrough infections say, so many of them say, thank God I was vaccinated because if I hadn't, I would have ended up in the hospital instead of just like having a cold or just feeling a little tired. But these breakthrough cases are becoming more common. Uh, this morning, Vice President Harris was supposed to be on set with the ladies of The View. Take a listen. I need uh, the two of you to step off for a second. Okay. Anna and and, uh, and, and we're going to bring Sonny you back later. Have to okay. leave. Yeah. Yes. So shall I introduce the vice president? Yes. Okay. So vice president. No. no. Nope. Okay. Shall we dance? Let's do a tap dance. Let's do a tap dance. <laughs> Live television uh, has its hazards. Um, obviously, this doesn't mean the vaccines are not effective. They are. Uh, they're keeping people who get infected out of the hospital. Uh, Sunny and uh, Anna looked great, and I'm sure felt great. Will a booster cut down on the amount of breakthrough cases, though? That's a hope, and we would like to see that going down the road. We'll have to assess that. Remember, the main goal of these vaccines continues to be keep your infection from being so severe that you have to be hospitalized. Obviously, our healthcare facilities are being stretched. Over 90% of the people who are in the hospital now with COVID are unvaccinated. We've got to get those people on board. Yep. Get vaccinated, folks. Dr. William Schaffner, always good to have you. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend. Coming up next, brand new reporting on what's becoming a dire situation. U.S. bases across Europe are strained by the thousands of Afghan evacuees who are now calling those bases home for now. Now, it was a dangerous scramble to get them out of Afghanistan after the United States left and the Taliban took over. And now thousands of Afghan evacuees are facing yet another challenge at American military bases across Europe. Two sources familiar with the situation at Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany say there are not enough resources to handle all of the evacuees and predicting things will only get worse as it begins to get colder. Adding to the challenge, the sources tell CNN that approximately 2,000 or two-thirds of the female evacuees at that base are pregnant. CNN's Oren Lieberman brings us this news from the Pentagon. And Oren, 
There are obviously growing concerns about all sorts of resources, but also medical resources. Well, Ramstein Air Base was never supposed to be a base where 10,000 Afghans stayed for weeks. They were only supposed to be there 10 days after their arrival. They were supposed to go through screening and processing in a matter of days relatively quickly. And then they were supposed to move on to the United States where they would stay at a military base as they continued applications for a visa or some other way to stay in the U.S. But because of a small number of measles cases discovered amongst the Afghan population in the U.S., those flights have been paused for weeks. And now what was supposed to be a short stay at Ramstein and other bases has become weeks, more than a month, straining the resources, the medical resources, and the ability of Ramstein to hold this many people on its flight line, where there are normally taxiways and parking spots for airplanes. There are more than 200 tents housing some 10,000 refugees. One of the sources we spoke with say this is the forgotten 10, as the the efforts and the focus shift to some 53,000 Afghans that are already in the United States, and those at Ramstein and other bases are effectively just sitting there. In the weeks that they've been there, there have already been 22 pregnancies, according to those sources, and there are 2,000 pregnant women amongst the population at Ramstein. And even if they're not all due in the immediate period, some of them are, and that strains the medical abilities of Ramstein as well as surrounding bases, according to the sources. As these flights are paused, at least one got through. A State Department flight Omni Air stopped at Sigonella in Italy, Ramstein Cutter, and then flew to Chicago, where it let off 58 Afghan youths. The sources we spoke with frustrated that State didn't let more people onto those flights. Germany says they are confident the flights will restart soon. Mm-hmm. Oren Lieberman at the Pentagon, thanks so much for that update. President Biden admits his spending plans are facing a stalemate right now, but he's still confident they will get through Congress. Can that stand up to a reality check from Capitol Hill? Stay with us. We're back with our politics lead now. President Biden acknowledging today his agenda is at a, quote, stalemate on Capitol Hill as progressives and moderates in his own party feud over the final price tag of his multi-trillion dollar budget bill. President Biden said, however, that he is still optimistic that more than $4 trillion worth of economic plans, which includes funding for not just roads, bridges and public transportation, but also child care and expansion of Medicare, will get passed. We're covering this story from both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, starting with CNN's Phil Mattingly, live for us at the White House. And Phil, what was President Biden's message to Democrats and the public today? You know, the message to Democrats was actually take a look what's in the package, what's in that $3.5 trillion proposal the president put on the table. He provided a window into what's been a simmering frustration for White House officials over the course of the last couple of weeks, that the battles over just the top line expense have really obscured a series of very popular issues that are inside it, whether it's paid leave, whether it's climate change proposals, whether it's universal pre-K. And that Democrats have been focused not on those, but on issues that don't necessarily define what the package will be. And that has left them in a stalemate, as the president laid out. Now we're at this stalemate at the moment, and we're going to have to get these two pieces of legislation passed. Both need to be passed. And several of them, when they go through their priorities, it adds up to a number higher (laughs) than they said they were for. Because I think this is, we're, we're, we're getting down to the, you know, the hard spot here. 
Jake, this certainly is a hard spot and a critical moment with real-time pressure. Now, the president obviously met with Democrats earlier this week for more than nearly five hours. More meetings are expected. Staff has been meeting with key lawmakers over the course of the last 24 hours. Everybody knows this is kind of an inflection point moment for the agenda. While the president made clear this may go on a lot longer than the next couple of weeks, that's how much they need to get it done. Certainly, time is of the essence right now. Mm -hmm. Between a progressive rock and a moderate hard place, as it were. Phil Mattingly, thanks. Let's get a reality check from CNN's Ryan Nobles on Capitol Hill for us. And Ryan, Speaker Pelosi says she expects both of these bills to pass next week. Is that realistic? Just from a procedural perspective, Jake, it really isn't very realistic to think that they're going to be able to cobble together an agreement between the progressive wing of the party and the moderate wing of the party on this big $3.5 trillion infrastructure plan, have the bill written and ready to go by next week, and then also vote on that other $1.2 trillion infrastructure package by as soon as Monday. There's just too much work to do and not enough time to get it done. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that they really aren't anywhere near an agreement. Uh, well, we were outside Speaker Pelosi's office a couple of hours ago. A group of moderate lawmakers emerged from there. Among them, uh, Representative Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey, who is the lead negotiator on the moderate side. We saw him in an earnest discussion with the majority leader, Asteni Hoyer. Asteni Hoyer uh, telling us that he still plans to bring that uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill to the floor on Monday. The problem is, Jake, that progressives have, have said repeatedly that they will vote no if the bill comes to the floor on Monday without a clear path to understanding how that reconciliation piece uh, is passed and then eventually put into law. So we're really not in any better of a place than we were just a couple of days ago. Time is ticking away to that Monday deadline. Uh, the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi continues to insist and tell everyone to remain calm, that she has a plan to get all of this done. Jake, at this point, she's just not sharing with us what those specifics are. Mm -hmm. Right. Ryan Nobles, thanks so much. In the next hour, we're going to take a look at what exactly is in that $3.5 trillion budget bill. Coming up, the nationwide interest in the disappearance of Gabby Petito is raising some unsettling questions, such as why there isn't as much media or law enforcement attention or seeming urgency in the search for some missing people of color. Stay with us. Tragic news in our national lead today. The body of a missing Illinois graduate student has been identified a month after he went missing. Jelani Day was 25 years old. He wanted to become a speech pathologist. His mother has been critical of law enforcement, saying that she didn't think there was any urgency in solving his case and finding him and that it was not getting the attention it deserved. She says she had to organize her own searches for him. Police say recent national public exposure may have helped them find Jelani's body. As CNN's Adrian Broadus reports, Missing persons cases are often treated very, very differently in the public eye, depending upon the race of the missing person. Jean-Benet Ramsey. The disappearance of Madeleine McCann. Nellie Holloway vanished in Aruba. Murdered or missing white women and children who captured national media attention. The most recent... Still on the hunt for Gabby Petito's fiancé. Gabby Petito, found dead in Wyoming eight days after she was reported missing. She was at work on this one. In Chicago, Karen Phillips is fighting to make sure the world knows her daughter, Kiara Coles, a mail carrier missing for almost three years. I believe that if Kiara was a different color, we'll have more results by now. 
This photo of Coles holding an ultrasound after learning she was pregnant is one of the last pictures taken of her in 2018. We couldn't wait. We could not wait. Phillips is among dozens of black and minority families struggling to get attention on their missing person cases. I just miss her. She was doing so good at everything she wanted to do. They just come out missing, like. There are thousands of cases out there of, of folks who have gone missing that we don't know about. Zach Summers, a criminologist specializing in missing persons cases, says only a fraction of minority cases receive nonstop news coverage compared to white people. If there's a missing white woman, we're going to cover that <laughs> every day. A systemic issue, the late longtime anchor Gwen Eiffel coined missing white woman syndrome in 2004. Missing white women syndrome is the idea that young white girls and white women, they get much more news coverage uh, than, than other folks of different demographics when they go missing. According to 2020 FBI data, blacks only make up 13 percent of the U.S. population. They account for nearly a third of the missing persons cases in the United States. We see her. Tell her we love her. In Washington State, Mary Johnson's family is still waiting for answers. Johnson went missing late last year from the Tulalip Reservation. She's a Native American woman. Sorry, I'm not racist or anything, but she deserves the same, the same treatment. Online, black and brown families are using hashtag Gabby Petito to post about their missing loved ones, hoping to gain momentum, a move that helped the family of Daniel Robinson raise awareness. Robinson went missing in June. We shouldn't have to depend on other stories or other cases to push our own story. And I just, I just want, we just want answers just like anyone else. Those families also saying they didn't get the same allocation of resources or treatment from law enforcement. There's data uh, that suggests that when people of color go missing, especially young adults, teenagers, adolescents, that they're more likely to be classified as runaways by police. They're more likely to be considered missing of their own accord by, by voluntary means. How do we balance the coverage? No one is saying that Gabby isn't worthy of coverage. It doesn't have to be Gabby Petito or someone else gets coverage. The same spotlight should be getting shown on both of them. Today, Phillips should be celebrating her daughter's 29th birthday. Instead, she made flyers with the message, find Kiera Coles. What can we really do about it? Other than just try to keep her name out there, you know, keep doing interviews, and hopefully one day somebody will just call in and just leave a tip. We grieve every day because we don't know where she is or what's going on. And in Wyoming, where Petito's remains were discovered this week, more than 700 indigenous people were reported missing between 2011 and September of 2020. And Jake, over half of them were women. Yeah, as you noted in the piece, uh, Gwen Eiffel, the late great uh, news anchor, uh, is the one who talked about uh, missing white woman syndrome. And and it was part of her push for uh, diversity in newsrooms, but it also applies to diversity in law enforcement, diversity in uh, prosecutors' offices. This is one of the reasons why it's important to have diversity. Absolutely across the board, no matter the profession. I remember when Eiffel made those comments back in 2004, we were at a journalism conference in Washington, D.C. It was the Unity Conference. And she said what so many people were thinking and back then, quite frankly, were afraid to say uh, diversity and representation matters because if you have different groups at the table, these conversations will happen. And we see people are listening now 
and people are speaking up, Jake. Yeah, indeed. Adrian brought us. Thank you so much. Great piece. Appreciate it. The migrant camp in Del Rio, Texas, that once held thousands of migrants, it's now been cleared out. Where did they all go? We're live in Texas and in Haiti. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.